2: Hello and welcome to the and Cricket Weekly podcast. Today's podcast is supported by PantsAndSocks.com. As I'm sure you can guess, PantsAndSocks.com sells men's underwear. It stocks all the leading designer brands, from Calvin Klein to Hugo Boss, from Ralph Lauren to Ted Baker. And more importantly, the site is currently offering 25% off all orders, as well as free delivery on orders over £40. So if you are listening to this, wearing saggy, slightly faded underwear, get yourself to pantsandsocks.com and treat yourself to some fresh, well-fitting designer underwear. Right then, on with the show. (laughs) I'm Ben Gardner, filling in for Yaz, and I'm joined by Wisdom.com feature editor, Taha Hashim, Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine editor, Joe Hartman, and former England batsman, Mark Butcher, to discuss everything this week in cricket, including the start of the Royal London One Day Cup, some COVID shenanigans in international cricket away from England, the gradual compressing and tightening of the cricketing calendar, A bit on the England-India tests, more from Ian Botham on his ashes, and, of course, the 100. Joe,
3: what are your first impressions of English cricket's shiny new toy? Um, Well, I think, first of all, the ECB will be absolutely delighted with how the first week has gone. Obviously, there was a a washout yesterday on on Wednesday, um, and another men's game got lost to the weather. But besides that, the weather's been basically great. Um, There's been some really good cricket. Uh, I've been surprised by how smoothly it's all gone. We talked about some of the, the things that might go wrong in terms of timings and players getting used to it all. That's all been very smooth from what I've seen. I was here for the opening night of the women's competition at, at the Oval and, and the same for the men's the following night. Uh, both were great events, very different events the, the Wednesday night. With the women's was a very different crowd to what you'd usually see at a T20. I think there were about seven or 8,000 in, uh, lots of families, lots of kids. Uh, and then the next night just felt like a good old boozy T20 at the Oval that we've become used to. Uh, didn't feel very different at all, um, you know. And there's a lot to be said for that. You might say, "Well, why bother changing it if if, if it was working fine?" That's certainly an argument that to be had, but probably not on this podcast. I think it's been done enough. All in all, I've I've enjoyed what I've seen, um, and I think yeah, as I say, there'll be ECB the will be pretty happy with how things have got up and running.
2: Yeah, we'll get on to what we think could be improved, but on the whole, I feel like it has just been very positive, at least from their point of view. I think the opening game saw the record attendance for a professional women's domestic game in England and then also had the biggest peak TV audience for a women's fixture in the UK on record. The free to games have exceeded the BBC game shown early this summer, so the internationals against India, against Pakistan, which surprised me. Um, some of it's been, been a bit like when you fiddle with all the stats guru knobs to get Jack Leach to come out on top of a list, where I think one game had the... Best attendance for a women's professional domestic game outside of London, which is, <laughs> sure. which is quite a few qualifiers. But uh, on the whole, the match has been close. The crowd's been good. People seem to be engaging with it. Uh, but Butch, what what would you improve from the 100 so far?
1: Wow, well, OK. Um, well, I mean, the grumble for any game of cricket, any limited overs game of cricket, really, is it so that a couple of the pitches haven't been great. Um, I think that was hugely in effect in the in the... Manchester Originals, uh, Birmingham Phoenix uh, doubleheader on Sunday, and then similarly for the for the Trent Rockets game on on the Monday that followed. However, of course, you ended up with a, a grandstand finish finish, um, the last sort of twenty five balls of the of the contest, making up for the previous one hundred and seventy five or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, I mean that's you know, but that's 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 cricket, isn't it? The one thing that makes a huge amount of difference to how good or entertaining. Um, potentially, a game is is the is the pitch that you play on. So, that's going to be tough because there are obviously a lot of a lot of strips being used for a lot of different things, and these are the most used grounds, I suppose, because they're test matches. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and uh, the the graphics are kind of still a little bit, um, you know, Commodore 64 um, with with and the, and the main listen you kind of get used to all of these things i think when obviously when sky first started you had the, the different colorways that, that people use for different things it all jars a little bit but i think more than that the, the most important thing from sat watching at home as opposed to what i can see on the on the, sc- you know, the, the screens in front of me in the commentary box um is just that the the most important numbers are the numbers of runs scored and, and, and balls bowled And for some reason, that's the one thing you have to go searching for when you look at your your television screen. They're on the, you know, those sidebars up the left and the right. And the slightly more superfluous information, as we've been told by the people who are, you know, marketing the the tournament to us, the batsman scores and the bowling figures are down in the most prominent spot down at the bottom. I would, that I would change immediately. Don't, don't wait for that one. Get that sorted. Um, And other than that, nothing. I mean, look, the, 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 all of the things about, a smaller, a smaller tournament with more concentrated talent um, played in the biggest grounds—all um, of those things that I've ad, I've advocated for those for so many years, I don't even care to uh, to remember. Um, they've all kind of proven to to do what I thought they would, which was that um, you know people people would come. There's a lot of tickets on sale. People would come and people would kind of enjoy it if the cricket's good. Um, the other stuff that you know, the five ball ends, the the ten ball ends, and the will a bowler a bowl ten, will a bowler a bowl five. When you're in the ground, as I've been as a spectator, haven't made any difference at all. No discernible difference to the entertainment or to the tactical side of things that you can discover in the ground. Um, there's probably a difference to that if you're sat at home watching on the television and people are telling you that it's happening. Um, but other than that, that's it really. There, there not aren't, aren't too many grumbles, and the cricket has been cricket's been good, isn't it? I mean, you you, you shorten a game of t twenty um, and the likelihood that, that you're going to get down to the very the very last knockings of the match and the game still be on the line is quite is is, is improved i guess um, but not I haven't seen anything happen in this that I've not seen in t20 games around the world, so it's not it's not an improvement upon something that we all know is is very good and very popular
4: yeah i mean i think I think we're kidding ourselves if we say it's anything radically different from from t20 I mean the experience of watching the game. When you know when you're watching on TV and maybe paying half attention to it, you know it, it's still that of a T20. Um, there are little quirks to it, you know. The not so much the the ten ball ten balls in a row. It's more just the fewer change of ends, so you can get a batsman, you know, who's sort of starved of strike. We've seen it with with Hales in that Nottingham it's Trent Rockets game. Um, Careful, and, yeah, and though in the, in the last Welsh Fire game where he was didn't get much of the strike but then sort of caught up in the end um but yeah like, like butch said the the quality is there to see i think what's interesting with the the men's competition is that you know with so many um o- overseas dropouts uh late in the day we're kind of seeing the sort of the english talent kind of sort of run the show for now so you had Bearstow, you know the the england test player but also also Ben Duckett's done really well Harry book has been sort of the the young sort of breakout star so far um with the women's competition you've we you know we've had overseas dropouts but those Indian players have sort of started to come to forward, started to to come to the fore Jamima and then Mandana a few days ago um so it's it's exciting in the sense that you know going forward when hopefully we do have you know the highest caliber overseas players come in that could that could even improve the quality which is already there to see. It's been
1: that's been and and it's been well documented by the people. It, for the women's game it's been huge. Absolutely huge. Um, you know, the girls getting to, to play in front of um, you know, the, the crowds that they've had in the grounds, the the exposure they're getting on the television. That that has been the game changer. That is where the whole thing has shifted um in terms of uh, in just shifted up to, to fifth, sixth gear for the women's game. It hasn't changed much, you know. You would mentioned Harry Brook there. Harry Brook was the leading run scorer in the Blast. He's been smashing it all over the place. And one of the one of the one of the things, one of the problems with the Blast always has been that a guy like that could do what he's done, and nobody knows. You know, it doesn't happen on the television in the one game out of out of fifteen or whatever, or fourteen that they get to play in front of the cameras, and so nobody knows that Harry Brook scored 470 runs and played like. Joe Root on steroids you know yeah. so that's this is the this is why this is good because you get to every time he every time he plays it's on television every time and you kind of know he becomes a household name from playing in a tournament um that is not with his county
3: whereas meanwhile we've got Alice Capsey, 16 years old hitting a rapid 50 for Oval invincibles People wouldn't really have heard of her, unless they really follow women's cricket. People wouldn't have heard of her until she played for England. Now, people are hearing about her earlier. Also, the, the exposure she's getting will mean she plays for England sooner than she would have done. Uh, she's a really interesting case in herself. We, When we did the Best Teenagers in the UK early last year, February last year, we featured her in that. She had only just turned 15, and we were actually a bit unsure whether to feature her or not, because a couple of the um, young guys who were mentioned. Their coaches said, can you not put them in? Because... They're really talented, but we don't really think they can cope with extra pressure or expectation. Whereas uh, speaking to, it's Richard Bedbrook Sorry, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, speaking to him about Alice Capsey, it was just like, she is she is ready. Actually, I've got a, got a quote here, which I'm going to pick out because I thought it really summed up readings the other day. Um, he said, Alex is a very exciting player. At 15 years old, she comes across as a senior pro. Not only in her ability to strike the ball and her all-round skills, but how she reads the game, how she reacts to situations and plots strategies. That sets her so apart from anybody of her age. And we heard this from several other people when we said, who are, who are the best young female cricketers to look out for? And and now she's arrived. She's arrived already and she's only 16. And I think that's so exciting. And I think quite a lot of people who have slammed the 100 and there are justifiable reasons to do so, I think have often glossed over what this will do for women's cricket. Perhaps because they don't care that much. Uh, perhaps just because that's not their focus. But it should not be underestimated. That is undeniably a huge plus to the hundred. Whatever else you think about it,
1: the the very fact that, that there is no difference between the Oval Invincibles men and the Overland Invincibles women is another. It's it's subtle, but it but it really works in terms of the idea that it's an unignorable entity. Whereas when you know, that when they had a smaller competition, was it in the KSL? Um, they had different names from the men's teams. They were kind of the whole thing felt very separate. This is now, you know, this is one, one group, one entity. Um, and it, it just kind of the identity of it and the identification of the teams being, being the same thing also is a real shot in the arm for it. That, you know, when you're talking about sort of sales of merchandise and all this other type of stuff. That it's recognisable and so it becomes it becomes bigger than bigger than just the men's team doesn't it um and i think that that will actually work both ways you know it will be a bit of benefit to the men's side as well and men's cricket um it's just not quite so easy to spot as yet because as, as you rightly pointed out the you know the, there is nothing there is no, nothing that you will see here for an oval Invincibles men's game that you've not seen in a in a surrey t20 game in fact the crowd's would probably initially not be quite as big as it would be for a Surrey T20 game, but they'll get there. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's been it's been extremely positive. Um,
2: I thought Sangakara the, was
3: interesting about connecting the dots of the men's and women's team. He was suggesting, while saying it might not be possible during COVID times, that actually you should have team meetings where it's both men and women's and you get not only a kind of ethos, but you're actually sharing tactical learnings from the game as well, which could benefit each other, which I can't really think that's, happened before in, in cricket. The England men's and women's teams never been connected in that way whatsoever. Obviously, it hasn't happened in the IPL because the women's IPL hasn't arrived still.
1: Mm. I, I reckon that that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not sure, I, it'd be difficult to see how relevant that would be. Isn't that just too different? The, well, I, well the, the, the example I would give you is is that when, when, when the women played, let's say uh, the, the game at Trent Bridge, right? The Rockets um, versus the Superchargers. When the women played and Jamima Rodriguez made 60 and played beautifully, you know, wonderfully well, it, you couldn't really tell what the surface was like when the girls played because there was a little bit of carry and there was a bit of pace. So they were able to hit the ball, find the boundary, hit, hit sixes, which they weren't able to do at Manchester. You could tell that one was a, was a poor pitch when the girls played. However, the difference in the way that the pitch played when the when the men got the chance to, to to wrap their fingers around the ball and really sort of put some spin and revs and cut and bowl with a little bit of extra pace, all of a sudden you went, oh, hang on a second, this surface is not is not too good. And so the, the difference in the difference in the way the game is played because of the, the speed and because of the strength sometimes means that you're you're watching two different games on the on same on the same surface. I'm not saying that there aren't any there's nothing to be learned from one or the other. But I just I just wonder how much you know how relevant it might be, um, you know. The the, I mean, the interesting thing the, again that was poor on at Old Trafford on Sunday was that the girls played on a boundary that the boys would have struggled to hit sixes on, um, on the same surface. And as it turned out, they actually moved the boundary back for the men's game. And I thought, wow, that's it's it went from went from over average big for the girls game to huge for the men's game. And there was only one six hit in the entire in the entire contest over the men's and women's game so that's another another little grumble but they're only
2: small one we, we've had one question actually about the, the women's competition from sports enthusiast who says she will she'll miss yaz her favorite podcast host and i think i think we'd all echo that uh <laughs> <laughs> um uh she has an observation asked and asks why are all women's matches played first in the hundred should there not be a few where they get to play the later game uh i guess especially on 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 weekends when you can uh you know, it doesn't matter so much which is after working hours and that sort of thing. And I guess also, do, do you think is doubleheaders the way forward or will we see sort of a, a bit of mixing and matching, maybe getting to some some grounds around the place and that sort yeah, of thing? Yeah, I don't journals? know
1: because I think, you know, the initial idea was that the, the girls would have played at, at, at the other grounds, wouldn't they? So, you know, grounds like Chelmsford and, and Derby would have got the chance um, to have hosted games and I'm sure I'm sure they're, they're not all that happy about having to, having to miss out on it in, in its entirety. Um i don't know i mean it's it's interesting isn't it? It might be something that you look at after the first season or the first couple of seasons are gone and and perhaps you find that the uh, that the support in terms of people buying tickets um would stand up to to the girls' game being a standalone one um and and I don't see any reason why that might not happen at some point, but maybe you know maybe the first season maybe the first two seasons you might go, we'll keep it as it is with the double headers We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that the visibility is absolutely at its at its peak at its maximum before we say okay well you you guys go off and do your own thing um and i think that i think the women's game and and the girls who have played in in it have all sort of said you know we we're playing in front of these big big crowds and partly that's because of the, there's a men's game men's game coming up afterwards it's not entirely because of that and so they're quite happy at the minute to be it's not an undercard, don't call it that. But they're quite happy in the positioning that they're in because they're already finding that they're, they're, they're more visible than they were um, when they played games on their own anyway.
3: I think there was a feeling that doubleheaders were a kind of a thing of the past, that women's cricket was strong enough to kind of stand on its own two feet. But I do think the 100 is a bit different. I think there is something quite neat about a, a package of a day being the same men and women's team. If you support this club, the, the whole thing, then you can come and watch both your teams on the same day at the same place. Uh, I do think the idea of switching the men and women's at a weekend uh, is quite is quite smart actually. I think that would be a way to do it where I think fans of men's cricket would arrive early and would be more likely to stick around than turning up early for a game they're less fussed about. And then you might grab them that way. I think that's quite a smart smart suggestion actually.
2: Yeah, and and I've been surprised that the women's events have been so good considering that you would get a reasonable amount of people buying tickets just for that men's game. That there was a story by Izzy Westbury in the Telegraph. Not sure if you saw this about the uh, the refunds policy, which if the women's game was rained off but the men's uh happened then you uh you didn't get a refund but if the women's game happened and the men's was rained off then you got a full refund so sort of implicitly ascribing sort of the women's game a value of zero and saying all the values contained in the in the men's ticket easy to say they're reviewing that policy but okay, it's just another little sign that this tournament that's that is that gives women's cricket a platform that it's never had before still has a little way to go to achieve complete no, equality
3: I think from the ECB quote, I think they'll be changing that pretty quickly if they haven't already. I think, and as as he said herself, she wasn't really like sticking the boot in. She was just like, this is an oversight from people who probably haven't thought it through uh, quite as much as they should have done. We, we've, we've got a small point in, but it is quite an interesting one. Uh, Nanny Core asks
2: via YouTube, uh, the good thing for the 100 is it's very fast. Even the third umpire decisions are very fast. In India, I am assuming that's where he's writing from, an IPL game goes on for a lifetime doesn't think the same as, as he thinks it's a minor point but the, the speed of the reviews has been generally quite surprising hasn't that's, it it's great and incredible it's, I don't it's I great was until it goes told, wrong though isn't it Yeah, the, which
3: I think the there
1: thing. was a case the other day where one when when a decision was made and actually that the stumping might well have been out if you'd have seen it from the side on view but I could not believe how fast they're getting up the they're getting up the ball tracking for lbws. I mean, I've always been told that, oh, you know, it takes a while to build, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there it is. It's like it's appeared at the moment that they kind of do this. Um, they've been hoodwinking us in the commentary boxes. <laughs> I mean, that's—I mean, it's all great. The, the whole thing about the time thing, it kind of it amuses me slightly in that, you know, we have been used to seeing ridiculously long, hour and 45, almost hour and 50 minute innings in CPL, in, in, in the IPL. But that's never really happened in England. England have always guarded against it. In, in the UK, the, the blast has always had a clock on it, always. And now, they're, now the, the penalty is the same as it is in the 100, isn't it, where you, where fielders have to come inside the circle if you haven't done by a certain amount of time. But England has always guarded against the games lasting forever. And so we've always been on top of that where where other people have not. But the, the, this, this thing about the game moving faster, it, it is terrific. I, lo- I love it. I love the fact that there are, there are very few, um, you know, sort of standing around breaks and nothing, nothing is happening. And part of that is because of the, the, the bowling all coming from one end. But I, st- but I do think that, we, that, that people are sort of shouting about something that we'd already had under control in the T20 game here. You don't ever see. I mean, I've worked on enough of them. You don't. You don't ever see games going beyond sort of an hour twenty twenty five. And none of these have come in at sixty five minutes yet. Not one.
3: Well, Kevin Peterson's been banging that drum a lot, hasn't he? But I'm not sure how much blast cricket Peterson has watched no. over the last years. So he's talking most, about the IPL, really. Most, isn't and he? most
1: of the people, most of the guys who were working for the ECB when, when we've spoken to them about all this, didn't really know that in the UK we didn't, we haven't had this problem. You know, they're talking about overseas tournaments too, um, but that's not. That hasn't been an issue. Um, and it's not a reason to sort of beat beat up on the on the blast because the blast does not have an an extra time problem as far as I can
3: see. And just anecdotally on the on the first week, I've certainly had uh, most of my friends are kind of casual cricket fans rather than cricket obsessives. Uh, and they like coming onto a T20 if they get a free ticket and a few pints. Um, but I've certainly my phone has been buzzing with people wanting to come and watch 100 matches. There's definitely an interest. And maybe that's just because it's the new shiny thing. And... Uh, uh, opponents of the 100 could well argue that, well, if the blast was given the same amount of promotion and structured better, then that could also reel in people who might not have been interested previously. But kind of putting that aside, uh, it seems to be working in that regard, at least from from my own personal impressions.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the ECB battles out that I think over a third of the viewers so far have been people who hadn't previously watched cricket this year on TV. Which is uh, an impressive yeah. stat. I mean, just
1: one one more thing before I don't know if you are moving on, but the 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 Manchester Originals Birmingham Phoenix game, right? Obviously, one of the one of the major um, points um, of of sort of denigration about one hundred was how much people would, would care about you know these made up made up team names and whatever. So the, the Manchester were chasing down whatever it was, eighty or something, on on the Sunday. Crowd stayed in. Pretty, you know, it wasn't wasn't full by any means, but it was a decent crowd. And Manchester are winning the game. There's, there's no tension. There's no there's no drama whatsoever. Winning run gets hit, and the place erupted. And I'm kind of standing there waiting to talk to the to the two captains at the end of the game and do the man of the match thing. And I, I was stunned by the reaction to a game which was kind of like the most foregone conclusion you've ever seen. And I kind of thought to myself, wow, I mean, they're bothered, you know, they really are bothered that Manchester have beaten Birmingham here from nowhere. Um, and that kind of, that, that stuck with me, um, you know, ever since, ever since Sunday, that, that even in a game where there was no, you know, there's nothing like the finish at, at, at Trent Bridge the night after, that people were literally on their feet and yelling and, and screaming for, for the originals winning that, winning that game.
2: Hmm. So speaking of yelling and screaming, we should talk about sort of like the debate Around 100, a little bit, which has just sort of gone to a, another level this week. uh Ian Sykes, who we all know, asked via Twitter. I think to me, uh, are you nervous? And I am a bit more so than usual with this one, less so now when it now we're into it because it does feel like a particularly tense time for the game. There's been abuse and vitriol from both sides. Heated discussion of the connotations of the word haters. Counties pulling down anti-100 banners put up by the supporters and anti-100 tweets put up by themselves. And I'm slightly worried that if I say the wrong thing or seem too excited, I end up compared to a. A dictator of some sort uh Mark Butcher did you graduate as one writer put it uh from the Kim Jong-un school of journalism
1: <laughs> no I didn't no I got I got a couple of text messages actually from from people who will remain nameless um thanking me for for kind of not not doing the uh, the North Korean um genuflecting to everything it's not that really my style no um I'll, I'll leave that to others um you know, you have to. The whole thing is, is you, you can see what's happening in front of your eyes, and when it's good, you say it's good, and when it's not, you you say it's not. I don't think that there's a there's a problem with that. Not everybody sees it that way. And I, I can one one thing I can tell people is that there is no directive from, you know, from the from the the ivory towers as to what we can can't say in in terms of our opinions about the hundred, and that's always been the case working for working for Sky. So um, you know, I've not seen any of the the BBC coverage on what's been going on there. Um, but but you know it is what it is. You know, and all of this stuff, all of the the sort of the enthusiasm and the 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 original um, or sort of the early thoughts about this is always tempered in the back of my mind by you know there the are Royal London matches being played, um, the counties are out there trying to trying to do their thing, trying to survive. They've probably watched the, the county chairman uh, been watching what's happened at this last week, and they're probably just thinking to themselves, oh my God, we're we're dead, you know, this could kill us off. Um, anybody. Anybody with half a brain, um, seeing the way that it's gone the last couple of years, um, seeing the way that the two the two competitions have been wrongly, in my view, pitched against one another rather than rather than than uh, invented, not invented, but rather than being sort of fashioned to help one another, could see that if the hundred goes big, then there's a real problem for the county game. Um, and I don't I have not there's nothing that's happened in this last week that has that has tempered that view for me. There's 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 big trouble coming. Um how we get around it, I don't know. I mean the, the I my ideas on how I would have how I would have pitched the whole thing or how I'd made the whole thing the whole the two things work together more and better. Um no one asked my opinion on it, so so that's the end. Um and we are where we are at the moment. The interesting thing is going to going to be what happens year 2, year 3 and whether or not um, the two the two things can coexist. I cannot see how you how you can play four different formats in the course of one of our very very short summer. I mean we're in summer now, aren't we? We've been in summer for the where are we? July pretty much for the for the last three four weeks. Summer starts starts in July. We get a bit more of it in August, and then it's done. Um, and to play to try and play four formats with the amount of players that we have. I'm sorry, are out there at the moment with their Royal London squad are sort of out there having a, having a net at the minute um is is not viable. It just isn't. Um and so something has to give and they either have to find a way of making the two things complement each other, or one of them is going to find 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 themselves in, in serious trouble. Um and it's generally the one that, that is not generating the revenue and generating the clicks and the eyeballs. And at the minute that's that's the county game, right?
2: Yeah. Uh so we've had a question from, from Knuckle Panda who asks uh why is everyone so keen to assume that everyone has a everyone who has a different opinion of the hundred to them is serving some hidden agenda or being paid off. Is that is that something that you've sort of sensed that there's sort of like a, a lot of bad faith going on in these arguments and people sort of assuming the worst of the other side and that sort of thing?
4: I try and stay away from it.
3: Yeah, I just turn um, it remarkably well as well. To, yeah, um, yeah, I just
4: I just don't I don't want to be a part of it. I mean I saw sort of Somerset Post yesterday about why the BBC hadn't, you know, posted about their Royal London game and you know that that seemed a bit strange and I just I don't want I stu- to I don't want to be part of it and but <laughs> basically yeah. scrap this. I, I don't know what to say because it's just it's been going on for three years I'm kind of sick of it we see the hundred is you know a quality cricket competition and you'd think that that might when the cricket actually started you think that might unite people and say oh look this is a great game you know whatever form the game takes you you can still enjoy it but you know it's it's always gotten worse in the last week um
3: yeah well the, the brexit analogy is is existed for a, well the whole three years really and, and it and it continues to feel uh not dissimilar that people have chosen which camp they're in not everyone obviously a lot of people have chosen which camp they're in and whatever happens they're not going to shift and uh deleting twitter off your phone i recommend is is a good that's what i've done uh and i feel so much better for it um yeah, it's a shame. I think there's, there obviously is in the middle, hopefully, we are all included. A lot of people who are prepared to reason and debate it and admit there are good things and bad things about it. Anyone who's on either side and can't see anything good or anything bad about it is, uh, is kidding themselves, really.
1: You know what? That you make uh, while sitting on the fence, and, and I'll help you with those splinters where you're done. Um, the, the point you make that cricket is a really good game is kind of the, the most pertinent one for me. The, the, game has a, the game has a massive image problem with itself, particularly in this country, whereby we're always hand-wringing and we're always finding ways to talk about how it's dying, how it's not this, how it isn't as glamorous as football, how all of these other things. And if there's nothing else has been proven by, by the last week of the 100, is that cricket's a bloody good game. You strip away all the nonsense, bat, ball, fielding is a bloody good game. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And there's a hell of a lot of skill involved in it, and it can, and it, and it causes passion to occur from the people who are watching it, and even in people who don't really understand what they're watching, they can understand and they can, they can feel it. Cricket's um, it's an incredible sport, and, and we, and I cannot understand why um, it takes, uh, why it takes something like the hundred for people to be able to stand up there and say so. If people have been more willing to say how great the blast had been over, the, or, you know, how great 2020 is, how how incredible our 18-team county championship can be, how all of these other things could be, maybe this wouldn't be necessary. But the the slagging off that goes on about everything to do with cricket in this country and then people eventually go, oh, hang on a sec, that was quite good. It's because it's cricket. Nothing else. Cricket's a
2: good game. End of sermon. Yeah. Right, <laughs> let's, let's get a little bit Deeper into three itself, obviously we've touched on it so far. But Taha, your moment of the week? Um,
4: it's from the hundred. <laughs> um, it's uh, Alex Hales's knock for for Trent Rockets um, the other night against I've forgotten who it was against. Northern, Northern Superchargers. Yeah, um, I've never seen him. Yeah, I've never seen him struggle so much at the start of the innings. I'm sort of conditioned to watching him get to twenty off about twelve balls and then sort of just keep blasting from there. But he was on sixteen off twenty five. Tough pitch to bat on you know wickets falling at the other end and obviously through the quirk of the quirks of the game where you know you change ends twice he was he was struggling to get on strike and then the the match just sort of shifts sort of remarkably where there's a there's a dead ball called after Hales has sort of bunted down a single and gone off strike um because a pitch invader you know gets there and stokes is really animated and he's the northern Supercharged captain and you know, ask for the dead ball, dead ball given. And then Hales hits Rashid down the ground. It should be going, you know, straight into Stokes' hands and Stokes drops it over the rope. And then that just changes the whole game. Hales just suddenly just finds this new level and smashes three sixes. Matt Carter at the other end is sort of, this, you know, emotionless, you know, master blaster genius. Um And Northern Superchars win it with Hales, hit, you know, hitting a six that goes into... I don't know the river or wherever it is. Um, yeah, remarkable game. Just a great innings. Just the, probably the best, probably the best game of the tournament so far.
3: That, that that passage of play we're talking about, kind of cricket as a game. That was there was so much going on there, and there was subplots. There was the, the Stokes Hales thing where we know that they don't see eye to eye. Stokes wrote in his autobiography that Hales didn't deserve a place in that fifty-over World Cup squad because he wasn't he wasn't good enough to make up for the, the other issues around him which is quite a a a, that seems to still pervade to this day they obviously don't see eye to eye there was all that going on as well but even if you didn't know that there was just enough drama to to kind of absolutely uh reel you in and uh yeah it was was a as you as you said it was was played on a rubbish pitch really didn't really get going until the last little phase Uh, and then we had absolute can't take your eyes off it for for the last half hour or so
2: my my moment of the week was also from a rubbish pitch maybe there's a, there's something in them it was a the matt parkinson ball uh, the one that that when he did what he does these days and sort of drifted one miles outside leg stump it pitches spins back hits off stump he seems to do it quite a lot considering that's the kind of thing normally gets called a ball of the century contender it seems to you should 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 happen less frequently than than four times in in like one summer before all ball August. of the week but, for uh, him isn't it yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah i mean it would it, you know, the, the the quality of batting at the other end on that particular one wasn't great. I think, as I, I seem to be on commentary for all of these things, which is, is either great or terrible, depending on your opinion of my commentary. But it was a, yeah, it was another stunning ball. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was great. I mean, that you're absolutely right. The drift he's getting at the moment is just, is phenomenal. He's putting so many revs on the ball. Um, and, you know, he's, he's making an almost unanswerable case for himself to be a part of, England squad, you know, you never know. They might have to play three frontline spinners in in the UAE for the T Twenty World Cup. So he's, he, I reckon, he's got a ticket in his pocket at the moment. Matt Parkinson.
2: Yeah, and Ch- Shane Warne said this week that uh, he should be penciled in for England's lineup for the first test at the Gabba as well in the Ashes. Which, yeah, uh, maybe not. But maybe yeah, not. Cool. That. But we'll, we we can discuss Matt Parkinson <laughs> another time. That's, uh, that's fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. We well, have, have you seen the way that we pick teams for, for test matches? <laughs> yeah, what, so what else happened? We had Pod favorite Chris Benjamin uh, on his T on his hundred debut. Pod favorite, hang on, I'm still claiming him as okay. as, as my favorite. <laughs> Joe's favorite player, Chris <laughs> Benjamin. Right, maybe not that far. <laughs> uh, so not 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 long on from his T20 debut, and his List A debut, then came in for his hundred debut. Blasted twenty four or fifteen, including what? Do, do, do you want to describe the shot, Taha? You're, you're good at these sort of uh, this lyrical sort descriptions of, of things. Some sort of reverse scoop, was it?
4: Yeah, and uh, what? We we'd not heard of him. A few days before, and he um, he played a fifty-over game before the 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 day yeah, before, which, which
2: no, no other player in the hundred did. He was the only and, one to play and scored a scored game another game. half century. Yeah,
4: yeah. So professional cricket's pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, probably the innings of the tournament came from Jamima Rodriguez. You'd say uh, Northern Superchargers were. 7 for 3 and 19 for 4 chasing 131. She's opened the batting and she pre- proceeds to I, I was going to say blast but she didn't blast it. It was 17 fours and just one six at a 43 ball 92. So that's you can't a, you can't say blast anymore. Yeah that, that's true. Yeah she hundreded it. That. She hundreded it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. She's uh, she's a serious player. I mean she sat on the bench for the only time I saw her do anything was she she translated for Deep Sharma in one of the, the back end one of the T20 games in the in the England India series. Um but she's a lovely, lovely player. I mean, Harman Prit-Kor and herself are two really technically beautiful um, batters to watch. Um, and um, yeah, well, she's got 150 runs in in 80 balls in the tournament so far. She ain't bad.
2: Yeah, and we, we had a piece on her on the site recently because she, she was for about sort of five minutes India's golden girl, sort of between Mandana emerging and then Shafali Verma emerging, but she had kind of been falling slowly down the pecking order was only played a a fringe part on that tour of England and so it's it's great that she's now sort of storming back into into the runs I guess um Johnny Bairstow has been in amazing form he had 39 ball 72 in the first game and a 36 ball 56 uh in so those are both in Welsh fires opening two wins we had a question from Adam who said given that the argument for Butler opening in T20Is is you want your best player to face the most balls Should Bearstow now open the batting in the T20 World Cup? Joe?
3: How many openers are we planning on having? (laughs) I I mean, you could certainly make a case Bearstow is a better T20 bat... Bearstow is a better batsman than Jason Roy, I think. He's Certainly in in better form. So, I mean, if you do follow that argument, yeah, Butler and Bearstow should open. But I think Bearstow's issue in some ways is that he has got more to his game than than Roy, uh, which is obviously a good thing to have, but it means he gets shunted around a bit. And I think... I do think that, that batting at probably four, possibly three, where you probably face a bit more spin in the middle overs in, in uh, UAE is is a good fit for him and a good fit for the team. So I think even though he would do brilliantly at it, I think for the team, he's probably best where he is.
2: We'll finish our 100 section with a, uh, a lovely five-star review from Dylan Jones, age uh, nine, who's been uh, playing the Wisdom Cricket Weekly uh the wizard cricket weekly listeners fantasy league in the cricket draft you should sign up for that if you haven't already there are game week prizes so still a benefit even though you'll be piling on the overall tally uh he's beating Yaz in our women's league but uh losing to him in the men's he says uh but he has a question for butch which is uh who is the best player you've ever played with
1: best player i've ever played with um wow that's a good question well, I played with some good ones, right? So you'd have people like Andrew Flintoff, you've had people like Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe. Graham Thorpe was probably the best all-round batsman I played with. Um, well, Alex Stewart was incredible, you know, sort of top-of-the-order player against Quick Barney. Um, but I think, I'll pick a moment in time, it's Michael Vaughan playing in the 2002-2003 Ashes. I don't think he was the best player I played with overall, but in terms of the best I'd seen anybody play in a team that I was playing in, um, he got—I don't know how many runs he made—close to 700, I think, on, on a tour where we lost 4-1. Um, and he, away from home, played, batted better than I think I've seen anybody play, and that includes Lara and Tendulkar and all these other people that I played against. It was—it um, was an astonishing uh, performance in a losing cause against a, a great Australian team. So hope that answers your question.
2: There you go.
3: Joe, your moment of the week. Uh my moment of the week is is uh looking ahead to some proper cricket in whites, red ball, that that stuff, you remember it. Um I spoke to Ollie Pope last week uh as part of our big preview for the England India test series and then in Wisden Cricket Monthly uh out in a couple of weeks. Um, he is currently sidelined at the moment he's got a thigh injury He's been very, this is his third kind of serious injury in the space of three seasons he's been really unlucky two dislocated shoulders and, and then this thigh injury which he said was wear and tear from playing five games in seven days for Surrey which obviously is, is a pretty tough schedule yeah um, and you know it's an interesting point in his career it's, it's 18 months since he played that knock at Port Elizabeth and we all celebrated the arrival of then it's great English batting hope and he's averaged about 23 since he hasn't got a half century and 15 knocks and suddenly what looked so simple to him at the start is now looking quite tough I mean he's got a few starts along the way since then it's not like he hasn't got any runs at all but this is feeling like a big a big part in his career I mean I, I personally think he's too good for him he's too talented not to come good I just think that will happen it's just a case of when and England really desperately need him to in this five test series and obviously the Ashes ahead of that as well. Um, he's a really nice lad to speak to, Ollie. He's I mean, he, as I say, he's not going through the greatest run of form. He could have easily said he didn't want to talk to me, but he, he was, he's up for a chat. Um, quite honest about the, the struggles and the difficulties of, of test cricket and kind of finding his feet after that early rush. And uh, I thought I'd better ask him about his off-stump guard, seeing as we had Butch on the show. And this has been something we've, we've talked about. And as I say, he's a very nice lad, very very cheerful, very friendly. This was at one time he got a little bit spiky, I would say, in, in response. So I, I said, asked him about the off-stump guard. I asked him essentially why, why he does it. Um, he said, that was a decision I made after my first shoulder injury in April 2019, which at the time was apparently the best thing I've done for my batting. And then you get out twice LBW and suddenly it's the worst thing you can do. So it's funny how it works out. We try and keep it in our four walls. We know the best way to adapt to these conditions that we're playing in. And of course, there are little snippets every now and again we can take from these guys who have amazing experience and they obviously really analyse us as players. Uh so they sometimes probably think, have things they can tell us we can learn from. But when the ball is swinging and nipping around, then you've almost got to try and cover one side of your bat. He goes on to then say that the, the big five batsmen that, that we all kind of talk about regularly and he says they all probably taken off stump guard i don't know if that is actually necessarily the the case i I think they all have done yeah and it
2: varies a bit as well from like pitch to pitch and bowling bowling but his his
3: point is if those guys are doing it all the time or some of the time and and there's something in it and he obviously that port elizabeth century he was batting with the same guard um at that point so it worked then. His point is, he's yeah. going to stick with the it. The interesting, he's, the interesting thing about that is, is
1: that if the ball is not moving, then you're less likely to miss it on the inside, right? My, my, my issue with it is, is why would you do it when the ball is swinging around? And, and basically, if he's saying that the ball is swinging and nipping around, and that's what the way you do it, or well, had the ball never swung or nipped around before until this year in the county championship, that's nonsense, isn't it? I mean, that's just. The, the whole thing about, he, he played that pitch at, um, where did he make the 100? Port Elizabeth, okay. ball didn't move off the straight. There was no swing, no seam. Um, where does somebody like Steve Smith play? Australia, no swing, no seam. What he's saying and what and, and the reasons for him doing it, don't tally up. If the ball is moving a lot, you kind of can't, you can't offer the back, the, the, the bowler the stumps. And it's proven by the fact that no one's scoring any runs. You know, if people were scoring millions of runs and they're talking about it moving around and batting an off stump was the the way forward, then people would be scoring runs, but they're not. That's why I don't understand. I I get it. I get it when he's talking about playing on, on, you know, kookaburra ball, flat pitch, standing off stump, because you're not going to get done on the end. You're not going to miss it. It's not moving. It's going straight and it's bouncing. Here, where it's hooping around all over the place.
3: When he explained to me before, which I think was 2019, so it was just after he'd come back from his first serious injury um, and he scored loads of runs for Surrey into that season before going to New Zealand and South Africa. He said he thought the main way he was getting out was playing at balls on a kind of fifth stump line that he shouldn't be. And he thought by standing on a stump, he would then have a clear idea of those balls to leave. So I, that was his explanation of where it came from in the first place. And that he backs himself to hit anything that's coming onto his pads through the leg sides. Um, I guess his point would be he's just, he's not in great nicks that or he hasn't been able to get the runs to make to prove that works but he still thinks it does and, and and you know it's going to be a good test this summer against some very good seamers uh in the indian side and uh just to add on pope as well he, he said he's he reckons he's 50-50 for the first test because of that thigh injury uh i'm sure he'll play some part this summer and i just think on pope i've of all england's batsmen who have struggled a bit lately i'm most desperate for him to succeed just because i think the bar is so high there and i think if he if he comes good, that just changes the whole dynamic of that of that batting unit. Um, so fingers crossed it's, it's sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll have a, a bumper preview of the England-India uh, tests next Monday, but that, that, that's a little taste, I suppose. Um, On to stuff elsewhere in the world of cricket. The IPL has been rescheduled. It will restart five days after the England-India tests conclude and end two days before the T20 World Cup gets underway. We've discussed it before, but there is just too much cricket, isn't there, Taha?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about this a few months ago with with someone like, this. I'm just picking out the name, Rashad Pant, who would have played at last year's IPL, gone to Australia, you know, for, for a couple months, come back, played that England series, I think that was the next one, straight into the IPL, IPL gets canned, you know, World Test Championship final. England again and it's just, it's just it's remarkable I mean I can't speak for those players but from what we've heard from you know England players about the strain of you know the, the biosecure bubble I mean it's remarkable just how long these guys have been going for like the last year it's
1: standards have started to drop as well I mean I think that's that's been noticeable that in the, the internet particularly for the teams that were on the road They've you know, just not been able to get anything any sort of thing going. The first I don't know if we said this last week, but during the first lockdown the, the the standard was unbelievably high, higher than I thought it could possibly be, playing in front of no crowds and with the with the restrictions that all the teams were under. But I reckon in the last since since the turn of the new year, obviously England's tour of January or whatever, um, February, that all visiting teams in particular have really struggled to put any sort of any sort of performances together whilst they've been on the road and that the thing that worries me about the way that this is all condensed is not that we we know why all right we know why it's had to happen because of cancellations of tournaments and stuff my worry is is that it happens it kind of goes off okay and then the administrators go well you know we know it was extenuating circumstances then but we've managed to we've managed to do it and it was all fine so what's the problem? We're just, this is what we'll do forever. You know, (laughs) that's what bothers me. Not what's coming, but what might come afterward.
4: Yeah, but I mean, the thing with India is that they've still performed really well. Um, Obviously, they lost that World Test Championship final, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, how how this all affects them now with the England series because it's been, what, nearly a year since that last IPL? When did that, that, the IPL last year, when did that start?
2: Yeah, that was October time, yeah. Yeah. Especially
3: five test series as well. I mean, we don't get many of them these days and they are, they're great to watch. You get all those kind of those subplots that that gather over the course of a series, but but they they end careers as well. I mean, if these, if you're starting a five test series and you already feel knackered, that's a lot. It's gonna be a long old summer, and um, particularly in a high stake series that is gonna have a lot of attention on it. I mean, Indian cricketers always have a lot of attention on them. I find it difficult to work out how they can even get out of the bed in the, bed in the mornings, to be honest. Whereas, uh, an England cricketers is gonna get have a lot of focus this summer because hopefully everyone's into cricket. And India's a big series.
4: I mean, have there been any noises from the Indian Cup about, you know, their calendar? Because th- they're not really looking to rest and rotate. I mean, they've just been going on and on. And I just wonder if there's...
2: Yeah, I was thinking that could quite a few of them have had sort of like almost like accidental bits of rest in a way. Like Kohli obviously left the yeah. Australia Tour for paternity leave. Rohit Sharma joined it late because he was injured. Same with Ishant Sharma. So quite a few of the sort of the pro- and there's the, the property of players have. Had little bits of rest here and there, and then obviously there was the. I mean, it it says something when the only break you get is when the the pandemic gets so bad that you can't conceive of playing cricket anymore. Uh, But yeah, it's. uh, I think it's it's one to keep an eye on. I think it's just uh, and and because also, I mean, while the I think you'd have to think those English players are quite unlikely to be playing in that IPL. I mean, to go for for the English players to go from an England test series to the IPL, the Super Cup, the Ashes, you've got to think that that is. That, well, that, you, would, you
1: would imagine, wouldn't you, that in the same way that, that players were, were told to rest whether they wanted to or not for the, the New Zealand Test matches and whatever, the ECB would have to step in and say, normally, we'd love you to play in the IPL, but we don't think that that, that it's possible because you know, there are already rumblings about the families not being able to go on the Ashes trip. Players know that they're going to have been away, and this is without the IPL, they know they're going to have been away for a T20 World Cup and then an Ashes series so is four months or something over Christmas and New Year. Um, without seeing their families, if if that holds, you add the IPL onto that. It's another month, isn't it? Five months. Yeah, but. but- um.
2: And the thing is, is the Indian players don't have the Virat Kohli can't skip an IP. No, no, no. Well,
1: I know, but we're talking about the England guys. Yeah, aren't but, we? but I mean, I'm
2: saying that they don't even have that option. There's no, there's no, no. rest. There's nothing they can miss if you if you are There's nothing you can miss unless unless no. your wipe is literally giving but birth. For the England, can,
1: but for the England, yeah. guys, you would you would imagine that the ECB would have to step in and say, sorry, you, we're going to have to we're going to have to make you make you miss that. I mean, which and it'd be bizarre if they didn't, wouldn't it? G- given given what happened, what's happened with Test match cricket this year. That if they didn't step in and say, I know you've got contracts, but this is, you know, you you work for us more than you work for them, so therefore you're not going. But who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Money talks, isn't it?
2: Yeah. You you touched on it there, Butch, but the the BBC have reported that the Ashes could be in danger of being cancelled if players' families aren't allowed to travel to Australia, with uh, England's players reluctant to spend so much time away from their partners and children. We should say this is uh, very sort of nascent as a talking point. It's not you know, it's not on the, on the verge of, of, of happening or anything. And Malcolm Conn, who's uh, now writes for the Sydney Morning Herald, but is former communications manager Cricket Australia, wrote that Cricket Australia about to yet to be formally approached about the matter. So there's still hopes that some sort of a resolution can be reached. But, but can, can you try and explain what the stress of being sort of away from everyone you know for that long and inside a bubble as well in, in, in the context of an Ashes series well that would be like yeah,
1: that, I don't I, well I mean the bubble thing I don't know I've, I've experienced it as a, as a commentator and stuff and it's you know it's not a massive amount of fun um, but over that period of time um, listen the first Ashes and, and West Indies tours that I went on were, were very long and there wasn't a massive amount there was never any dispensation made really for, for families to come out on those trips started to happen but it wasn't um it wasn't something that was booked in so we were kind of used to it you'd be away for longer the tour you'd have a month build up to a tour as opposed to fly in and play your first test match in four days or whatever and so the trips were long um and and quite a lot of fun but the, the world's changed an enormous amount since 1997 um and the players reasonably expect to, that their partners and their kids and stuff will be part of the tour um and so it's 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 more it's more difficult to to put up with when it's something that you're having taken away from you as, as opposed to something that you would, you never had in the first place you know um, so I, I would imagine that they they'd find that very very difficult. Um, Christmas New year, a lot of them got young kids so yeah I mean you can understand the problem. I mean Don Bess I think I read him saying, well if I get selected'm I'm, I'm going. don't worry about that but he's a youngster he hasn't got any family and, and all that kind of thing. And maybe some of the ones with families might be thinking in their heads, "Yeah, I don't mind that at all." But, <laughs> but publicly, are going to say different. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that—that's all I can say. It. I would particularly given that there's going to be quite a few of them that are going to do both in terms of the the, the World T20, possibly even three things with the IPL. Um, that they would certainly welcome having uh having a chance to to catch up with their, with their wives and kids and stuff over over the christmas period or however long it might be so it will be a sticking point and the players have a lot more power the, the, now than they ever did back in in the old days too they can kind of you know if if, if it becomes a an issue they can all get together and, and and go to the pca and say well this these we're not touring under these circumstances and that'll be the end of it and australia wouldn't be able to complain given that they basically you know any whiff of trouble when they don't get on the plane do they so <laughs> so it'd be one of those things we'll just have to postpone another Ashes series and then bunch up the uh, bunch up the fixtures for another year or another three years
2: well that is the other thing is, is nothing is getting cancelled everything is getting postponed and I mean with with you know the World Test Championship and the ODI Super League there's no there's only so much scope for cancelling things without sort of like messing up all these like carefully put into place things so it does it's hard to see like at what point this ends because it does just feel like you're just pushing the kicking the can down the road I guess Uh, There have been a sort of on the subject been a couple of COVID incidents this week. Uh, An Australia West Indies ODI was postponed after the toss, but before play had started, after a member of support staff in the West Indies camp tested positive for COVID nineteen. The game then started, I think, two days later, and Australia were actually then allowed to switch out a member of their original eleven, despite having named it the toss, which is a. Sort of interesting if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, As you are. Yeah, exactly. Australia won that series 2-1 with Mitchell Stark in dominant form with the ball. But Aaron Finch is an injury doubt for the T20 World Cup requiring knee surgery. And lots of the India team have had to self-isolate after Krunal Pandya tested positive for COVID-19 during their T20i series against Sri Lanka. There was, again, a game postponed there. Uh, And for the second T20i, they picked four debutants and had Bhuvneshwar Kumar batting at number six, which feels quite high. And there was even some speculation that that Raul Dravid, uh, the coach of the tournament, have to make a, a return to action. Uh, they lost that game in the last over. Uh, finally, the Royal London One Day Cup. Butch, your moment of the week, please.
1: Moment of the week. Um, Ryan Patel made a hundred and thirty of seventy balls in a, in a match that was reduced to to thirty overs a side, I think between Surrey and um, uh, and Nottinghamshire at Guildford, which for anybody who's not been tiny, very picturesque little ground out in leafy surrey um but the moment of the week was ball had been deposited into uh, woodbridge road um and there's a very very high fence sort of separating the cricket ground from the from a very busy um main uh, a road um and some old fellow was walking past and he sort of had had first attempt at trying to throw the ball over the fence didn't get it anywhere near it bounced back rolled underneath the car rolled onto the onto the highest onto the main road he then risked life and limb to go and get the ball back um, from the main road tried to throw it over again it dribbled under a car again and then he just he just walked off and left it there which was which I thought was sensational you've got the all singing all dancing hundred and then you've got the sort of you know, return to, to village life of the, uh, of the Royal London Cup and then, how then, were you then,
3: able to, to witness this, was, this This was
1: Mark Church on Mark Church's Twitter right um, uh, so if you yeah if you go I think he's at back and across you'll be able to find the little video clip of of this, the, poor bloke. of this poor bloke <laughs> with no arm trying to throw the ball over a very high fence
2: it, it, it is very high because i mean i guess the intention is to stop sixes from yes. going over it and then so yeah. when one does you've got to be a, a <laughs> pretty good fielder to get it to get, <laughs> get it back, it back over. in playing yeah. uh, it i've been really enjoying it Gr- granted obviously the hundred has taken taking precedence how much you, how close you're before to follow these things but i mean i think the fact that it's being played at these outgrounds it does make it sort of it, the, the the difference is more stark and it means that actually you can enjoy both in in two sort of different ways. Uh, yeah, it's
1: been it's been one of the the complaints about about the county game over the years that there is not as much festival cricket, or you know the the outgrounds don't get to see. And some of these places are magnificent. They were brilliant places to play. Um, you know, I mean, Yorkshire have always played at Scarborough and places like that. But the Guildford Festival, of Surrey, was always brilliant. There'd be games at Basingstoke in Hampshire and um, the Cheltenham Festival for Gloucester. All that, all these types of things. Um, and you know, it felt like. I mean, I remember playing at I remember playing at some weird places against Durham, you know, Sedgefield and places like that. And it kind of it was a, it was an opportunity anyway to to sort of bring the bring the game to the county. I mean, Surrey is not Surrey County Cricket Club. The Oval is not in Surrey. Um, and and you know, I think that the players always used to welcome those weeks, um, and the fans did really appreciated them too. So I, I suppose there's one of the bonuses of the Royal London being played at places like that.
2: Yeah, uh, just some of the highlights from from the uh, the opening few few rounds of fixtures. Durham made 400 against Kent, which was a uh, good for them. Uh, Somerset had been on a one team mission to keep county cricket relevant. James Hildreth made a 100 on one leg, suffering from severe cramp. They put on their Twitter feed, and then they beat Glamorgan by one run. Glamorgan needed six when off the last ball of the game, smashed it straight down the ground. It was a one bounce four, so basically as close as you can get. Uh, and Hasib Ahmed made 100, his first ever list a ton we've had a, a few questions in about this um I'll, I'll, put, I'll put these to you Taha. uh i'm totally with you all on the love affair hamid but does anyone else have a niggling worry that it's too soon and concerned about i'm going to a downward spiral if it doesn't work out or am i just paranoid uh and then neil Varani asks, is anyone concerned what will happen if he cuts his hair
4: no the the paranoia is is real i, I you know that's that's we all feel that you know you know we're, we're talking about him and I think I think we all tried to calm ourselves at the start of the season, but you know, if he keeps making runs, then we do have to talk about him. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of frightening because of what's happened in the past. where you have a season where you average nine after you've played for England. Um, and yeah, the, the hair, the hair's obviously worked yeah. a lot. That's,
3: that's that's. It's not going anywhere. It's surely. not. Bit,
4: it's not been about moving to knots. It's about growing the hair. So he's got to just keep it going. It looked great. I like it. You know.
1: The thing you know what everybody would love to kind of like make their test match. I know it's not his debut, but to, you know play test cricket in the in the, the the nicest and cushiest of circumstances until they've got themselves embedded in the signed. The reality is, it's tough. Um, and if you get picked, you got you got to take your chance. Um, so I I wouldn't be worried about him. I'd, I'd just be you know fingers crossed he makes a good a good fist of it. Doesn't cut the hair. Um, but look, you know some people make their debut test match debuts against Bangladesh. Some people make them in an Ashes series. Uh, but it's all, it's all good. It's I mean, all just, good. You got it. that's, that's what being a professional sportsman is all about.
4: I mean, just imagine he takes the helmet off, the hair comes out. Don't, you ah, so. don't. <laughs> don't. <either>.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> and finally, Lord Ian Botham is arguably one of the greatest cricketers that England has ever produced. With the 1981 Ashes dubbed Botham's Ashes, undoubtedly his crown and glory. The anniversary of the Headley test was last week, and you can go back to a previous show to listen him talk to Phil Walker about that. But what is less known is Ian's lifelong passion for wine and the art of creating it. Forty years, an international cricketer and commentator took both into wineries and vineyards around the world. In the development of his own range of wines, he worked passionately with renowned winemakers to create bespoke blends, his exacting standards. Only when a wine is good enough to go on his own table does Ian allow his name to go on the label. For more information, visit www.bothamwines.com. Over the course of the summer, we are working in partnership with Botham Wines to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Ashes, of Botham's Ashes, and he discusses the aftermath of Headingley, his astonishing feats, that series, and its impact on English cricket with Phil. We
0: were, we were on the crest of a wave then, mm. and I, I don't think... We were a bit like a tsunami. I don't think anything was going to stop us mm. uh, from that point on. Um, the boys were itching to get out there, everything, the, the whole deck of cards would be you know, we had all the aces now. Okay. Um, the Aussies were probably feeling in control for the first and second tests. Uh, but, um, that, uh, wasn't to be.
5: Do you remember the days after Headingley?
0: Was, were Very press clear. men
5: at the door, the phone running off the hook, all of that?
0: Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Andy, who said he'd drive me down, Andy Withers, who was a great friend of mine and looked after me for a few years driving, and uh, Andy, uh, we just got in the car, end of the game. I had to go down to do, uh, Taunton to play the next day in the quarter-final of the Benson Edges. Right. Or whatever it was in those days, Benson Edges, Gillette, whatever. And, uh, did you get any, do you remember? We won. We, we crushed um, was it Warwick. Who did we crush? We absolutely pounded them anyway at, mm-hmm. uh, at Taunton. Uh, I think we bonged them out for seventy odd or something, something ridiculous like that. I can't remember the details, but yeah. Um, yeah, so we didn't really get, didn't really celebrate it until after the Somerset victory on the Wednesday. I see. Uh, well, we didn't get down there. By the time you leave the ground, you've done the press, you pack your bags, you you know had a celebration in the dressing, room, a couple of drinks. Um, a couple of the Aussie boys came in and uh, had a drink and. Um, when, it, when the dust settled. Uh, and then you get in the car and go. And yeah. we had to drive from Leeds to Taunton. So that was my party. <laughs> Sounds crazy. Uh, and actually, I slept most of the journey because I, I think physically it was just, uh, I, I think probably it's just like a, it's turning a light off. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I slept most of the way down. And then we, we had a couple of drinks when we got down there because Viv was still up. Of course. And uh, at the house, and, which we shared for many years and uh, a couple of drinks and then uh, that was it ground next day game uh, we won handsomely and then we had a weekend of some cricket somewhere and then (laughs) as as it was in those days you'd play until Tuesday night and then you'd travel uh, on the Wednesday uh, play Thursday
5: Talking of which fourth test Edgbaston and Uncanny echoes, really, of what happened at Headingley towards the back end of the game. They were chasing 130 at Headingley and 150 at Edgbaston. Um, one of the few Test matches without a, a half century made by any any player. I think Briers is 48 may have been the highest. Um, was it was it a rough track? Was it
0: turning square? I think, uh, yeah, it, it it turned a little bit, but that was more towards the end of the game. Yeah, I, I still think that whenever you play at uh, Edgbaston in those days, the bullring uh, we certainly got a lot of wickets I think because of the way they intimidated the opposition the noise, and I remember running into bowl there in that spell and as I started the run it was quiet, and then as I started to run in, it just escalated mm. the volume of noise, and you could see the Aussies, it, it did get to them and uh, but it was funny because Brea said to me, I think you should have a bowl. And the over, that end of that over, he said, you have a bowl at Embers end." And I said, no. I said, I think you should give him another over. I said, because we've got a left-hander in. We want him out, mm-hmm. AB, because he would be capable of hanging around. And the very next over, Gat took a good catch at short leg and uh, got him. And then I nodded to Bria's then. And so Emma's got a wicket and there was out, the attack and I came in. And that was the first time I really got the, the balls in those days to reverse. Right. It was just reversing. You so saw, holding it here to swing that way, uh, and like an outswing conventional, and it was just going at the last minute, and uh, so I scratched my head and I thought, what's going on here? Looked at the ball, thinking, what's happened? Uh, but it was a very dry surface. Yeah. Very very dry, and that's what, exactly what it did. And we, so we stopped. Um, we didn't shine. It didn't put any moisture into the ball, um, and it, it reversed. Reversed. Right.
5: I'm, I'm thinking. I think it might have been Ray Bright. You, you get in with an inducker in the pads. You certainly clean bowl Martin Kent as well with a in swinger. I didn't know that it was reverse. Right, this is interesting. Well, we don't know what it was. No, it so this is what I'm going to ask yeah, you. Yeah. Was it almost kind of an accidental. Well, we'd seen it being the stance, uh, this is how
0: it plays In the subcontinent, we'd seen it. There again, you know, those pitches, they're so dry over there, but we didn't twig it. Yeah. And then by chance, it, uh, it's the first time I was really aware of it, to be honest. And and then we used it a few more times and more so abroad, Yeah. You know, just look after, you know, d- don't put moisture into the ball and let the other side rough up, right. naturally. And, uh, <laughs> In inverted commas or...? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just saying naturally, I'm not sure it was always done naturally, <laughs> but um, certainly from our point of view that was the first time that as a team we'd really seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Been plenty of stories about it but never really witnessed it.
5: When. When I was a kid and I watched the video, right, that my nan bought me Botham's Ashes, the Edgbaston afternoon, I think, sold the game to me as a young kid more than any other because it was, as you've alluded to, an atmosphere unlike anything Amazing else atmosphere. that I've certainly seen in English cricket. But
0: well, it made you feel another six inches taller. It really did. They were magnificent. Absolutely magnificent, the crowd. and They should have all got a Man of the Match
5: medal. <laughs> were there any 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 doubts on that final afternoon that it that history wouldn't repeat itself and that Edgbaston wouldn't be a repeat of Headingley or was there again that sense of momentum building to, to victory
0: I think there was a bit of banter as well out there you couldn't do 130 what chance have you got with 150 yeah, so you there's a little bit of that prefer. flying around but to be honest with you um, you're always wary of the Australians because they are so competitive uh, but uh, yeah that, that well, we'd won the series by the time we'd done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when we got to Old Trafford. Well, uh, that was a great battle with Dennis up there. Yeah. Good.
5: Yeah. And by the end of, maybe by the end of he- Headingley, or maybe it was more established by the end of Edgbaston, but the, the country at the time, you know, new government in the grip of an you know, unemployment crisis and so on, industrial disputes. Well, and
0: race, race riots. Yeah. Half the cities were burning. And this was happening. Minor strike. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't particularly pleasant going on. And I think that the ashes, that 81 ashes, um, it changed my life. Uh, but I think it ignited. Uh, and suddenly everyone thought, hang on a minute, what are we all doing? And okay. then suddenly cricket became, like I suppose, like a peace ambassador in some ways. And everything settled down and got into it. So it was a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, roadblocks checking cars uh all sorts of things going on uh when we went to went past uh, going back to taunton and saint paul's and bristol you could see it was on fire lots of it uh the toxteth up in up in the, the northwest so yeah it, it um it changed a lot of people's lives and uh, uh i i think um certainly my life uh changed I think Bob's changed. I think a lot of players that are in that series suddenly, um, well, they deserve everything they got because it was magnificent. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the great thing. Sport brings people to uh, together. I was still on a stage in Monaco with Mr Mandela, uh, who I was lucky enough to spend some quality time with. And uh, the most remarkable man that I've ever, in the presence I've ever been in. And uh, he made that great statement. Well, sport will break down barriers that no politician will ever achieve.
5: And that was the sense then around that summer of 81, that it was providing something of real substance.
0: I think so, yeah. I think there was. And there's a lot of other sportsmen from different sports all started coming along to it and wanted to be part of it and get the atmosphere and the buzz. So, yeah, Yeah. it, it was. It was special. The fifth
5: test, Old Trafford, runs against the previous two in as much as... You bowl them out on the first day quite cheaply, 130-odd, I think, and then are in the box seat for that game, for the majority of the game, for the rest of that game. Your innings, they say, they say a lot, they say that your innings was the purest, most complete test match innings that you played. Where do you stand on that?
0: Yeah, it's right up there. I think there and Brisbane, 86-7 or whatever it was. Uh, I think those are the two best knocks i played. Um I had a great man at the other end, and he, he's the unforgotten hero, and that was Chris Taveray. Everybody thinks Chris, you know, noodles, does this. He's actually one of the best one-day players i played with. Um he's, he, he's capable of hitting the ball, and and he he's very good at... Um, he was one of the first guys that backed away outside the leg stump to give himself a chance to go over the offside, and I think he watched Barry Richards do that a bit. and But Chris was... um out there with me and I forget how many we put on but it was, it was a good total mm. and I loved it out there with them. We, we, we had the old ball and I said Look, let's just play and then when we get the new ball on this surface I'll, I'm going to have a go. And right, so you, this might answer my
5: question, you were 5 off 30 odd, 32 deliveries I think so starting quite circumspectly and then the switch was flicked and that, was that the new ball then? The, new ball. Okay. After that, you ended up with 118 in 102 balls, something like that. An 86-ball 100, I believe, which is, was the second quickest English 100 at the time. Um, can you talk me through the process of that innings from the moment well, when you were wasted,
0: wasted the first 30-odd ball. <laughs> I could have done it in a lot quicker time. Uh, but, um, no, we, that's we just had a stall out to play like that, to have it myself. And uh, I said... Um, you stay with me, and he said, "Yeah, I'll stay with I'm going to try and stay with him. I said, "Do," and he scored. He probably scored quicker than I did in that period. Um, and then the new ball, and I kept a, had a, with Dennis, who I respect as one of the greatest fast bowlers of all time. And to see to take him on in there, and uh, just put a couple in the railway station. Um, it was yeah, it, it was special. It was special. Uh, I don't think I miss hit anything really in that whole innings, uh, and you can't—that you, doesn't happen very often, if ever. Yeah. You know, so, um, but um, no, just middle of the bat. But uh, I was in great form for Somerset as well in between, so that was that helped. Mm-hmm. So I was getting you know more and more time at the crease. Um,
5: yeah. Could I ask you that famous over when you took D.K. Lilly for three sixes in a row, two of which you weren't looking at? Well, I never looked at when I looked at
0: too good looking. <laughs> so, yeah, the last thing I went smashed up. I got I did get cleaned up bad, but I had a few on the top of the head and things like that. But the wor- worst one was actually against well, Steve Barwick who played for Glamorgan. Yeah, yeah. And I charged sort of semi charged and went to pull it and top edged it straight up here and fractured three or four fractures through here and right. I looked like Elephant Man. And my cath came down to pick me up after the surgery and <laughs> she went walked straight past me. Really? I was lying on the bed on the recovery room, waiting to come out, and she just walked straight past me. And did I, you? And also, going up the motorway, I'm in the passenger seat, obviously, and uh, you know, people are driving along, and I, I turned to the see there, and they were going, <gasps> <laughs> 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 What is that? Who is that?
5: <laughs> did, did you?
0: Obviously, you, you wore a lid
5: against you know, the Windies on a rocky one once or twice, but
0: why did, why did
5: you take so long to, to end up? under a helmet and when i watch that footage of the dk over and as you say you're not looking at it and it's well, heading no, you, for your well, you are looking your it. crown not, what,
0: what you're doing what i was doing i'm getting into position and then i'm i'm <laughs> um you're going under it here but i, I can see the ball yeah okay. I, yeah okay. i didn't say I didn't look at it okay no, well you, you don't go like that because it's gonna get hurt but now i knew where it was and um but no it was great great uh contest and you know, to do it against someone that you think is arguably one of the best, uh, if not the best. You know, he's right up there, him, Malcolm Marshall. You know, these are special, special bowlers. Yeah. And uh, Dennis, um, to take him on uh, was fantastic. And
5: Was it a premeditated decision to, if he's going to bang it in, you're going to take I didn't him think, on. you don't think about it. Right. I haven't got
0: time to think about it, just instinct. Okay. okay. I never thought about it. Good God, if I thought about it, I'd be in a terrible mess. Right, okay. no just instinct pure instinct That's speed as well
5: sure yeah sure I, I, it's just i asked gooch this the other day and and he said that he would know beforehand whether he was going to play the shot or not based on you know on the pitch and the situation in the game and so on. the
0: line's important and the height okay so if you want to bowl at someone that you thinks a compulsive hooker then you, you want to bowl it outside his or, or stump around there and high a little bit high almost impossible to control it yeah up there okay so yeah but <clears> the <throat> other thing I remember about that game and just and I, I remiss of me not to mention it and you touched on it just now we talked about Alan Border. Mm. I actually smashed his hand broke his hand in the first innings uh, quite a nasty break up here and uh, he yeah, battled it out went uh, good God I don't know many more 30 something like that, is that anyway he came out to bat when we were Cruising, cruising to victory and I hit him on the same spot about after one or two overs and it, you could see it hurt him big time uh, but he then guts it out for something like 300 deliveries for 100 nod and, odd. and I, that tells you a lot about the guy yeah. and uh, I will always remember that innings of his I've seen him play some great innings but for sheer guts that was right up there yeah
5: in a losing cause as well, and exactly. I, re- I remember the footage. He would play a shot and his hand would have to come off the bat because he was in such pain, oh, and he yeah, 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 makes yeah, a fourth yeah. innings, 120. Um, was there ever a moment in that game where you were getting twitchy? I mean, the, the final analysis, they were chasing 400 and plenty and you won by 100, but was there ever a moment when Yallop and him were going? No. No, I didn't think so. No,
0: uh, fourth, uh, yeah, fourth innings is never a great time to bat unless you're on a real road, flat mm-hmm. road. Uh, which that wasn't it did a bit uh, enough to keep you interested uh it wasn't it was probably the probably the best of all the pitches in that series um the oval i can't remember much about the oval the last one that's just a blur um i think we we're all we we're all knackered to be honest yeah, yeah. um but the old trafford one uh, i think once you won that yeah, it's almost like saying, well, why do we have to play the last test? Because it's all over Red Rover. Yeah, sure. And it t- was it pretty much what it was. It petered out to be a bit of a t- lame draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have much detail on it. You took ten for do Well, bold. Well, there you go. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll dig out the video and I'll have a look. We <laughs> don't have videos nowadays, do we? It's my age, you know. um, post, post Old Trafford,
5: series done, 3-1-1 one, one to play. What, were the, what was that night like?
0: Do you remember? Uh, actually, the family were all down. Uh, so uh, we went to, a, uh, went to a restaurant somewhere. I can't even remember what the restaurant was. Uh, something where we could take the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was quite nice. I think I, what I do remember is sleeping like a baby. But, and it's just everything's gone. Yeah. So everything that happened a few months ago in the Caribbean, everything that happened at the start of the season, it was gone. Erased, raised from the memory banks, and felt a different person. Yeah. Did you realise
5: you'd made real sport in history at the time?
0: Not really. I, I, look, I, it was quite embarrassing at times. I'd be in the commentary box, and I remember Ben getting the 200 in Cape Town against the Australians. And then uh, that's he's now, uh, I'm sat at the back of the commentary box, and uh, the two boys were on, and they said, well, he's just broken our fellow con- uh, commentators, record for the fastest double hundred in test cricket by an Englishman. I didn't even know I had that.
5: You didn't know? No.
0: No. I had no idea. Uh, and to be quite frank uh, it's never really been part. I actually took the liberty, I couldn't remember, I, for some reason I couldn't remember it was 383 three, or 384 wickets. 383. Three. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I had a look. that's gospel truth. I actually went Go on, it, your own cricket, info page. I just thought <laughs> Well, maybe it's my age. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, just, it's like, as, as Bumble would say, I said, I can't remember what happened yesterday, let alone <laughs> you know, three months ago. But um, I actually did have a weird moment there, and I've got the phone on. Right? 383,
5: okay. Um, why does it still fascinate us now, 40 years on, do you think?
0: Look, I, I think you're going to have series, there'll always be great series, um, and they will always stand out. Uh, I think a combination of everything we talked about earlier in the interview, and that was where England was as a country. uh, uh, I think it it brought a lot of pleasure to a lot of people who perhaps uh, hadn't had a particularly pleasant time up to then Mm -hmm. um, with everything that was going on. And I think it probably united us as a team. And I think it did a lot to help the country and uh, inadvertently because we were playing a sport. And I suppose it's like, um, you know, England win, win the Rugby World Cup and Johnny Wilkinson drop, drop goal, etc. Yeah. It's special. And those sort of things don't happen every day. Yeah. Um, there's been a couple of good test series, uh, particularly against, usually between England and Australia. Mm.
5: It was Brearley's last test, the oval test. It was the last time he played for England, last time captain England. Do you remember how he, he left the scene? Very quietly. Yeah, I can imagine.
0: Yeah. Very quietly. And um, we, we all saw each other back at the hotel, but I think Breers just slipped away. Classy yeah, as yeah, ever. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit like John Wayne, isn't the end of a good old movie? Just <laughs> going over the riding into the sunset.
5: Yeah. I can see that. Okay. Um, to the here and now, then, really. Right, confession time, Sireen. I'm no wine expert. I know what I like, but, but I'm no, no aficionado by any means. Talk me through how this came about and what it means to you now
0: uh i've during the test series when uh when i first went to australia and when i went, first went with bob and uh, paul allett uh, when paul was there and bumble to a degree uh not always bumble dependent what else he had a, you know, he loves his beer likes to go and explore beer houses
5: more his style isn't yeah it? yeah yeah
0: with his flat cap yeah in 45 degrees in perth yeah it's a very good combination But come the rest day, uh, which you had in those days, on a Saturday, we'd have made arrangements and we'd be going to a distillery, uh, distillery, a winery. We did go to the odd distillery (laughs) as well, but you'd go to um, a winery and got got to know uh, Jeff Merrill very well, who was in Adelaide, um, Merrill Wines, and became very good friends. Uh, we were called the Three Musketeers, Willis, Botham and Merrill. So I've been practicing with the wine for about 40-odd years so, and uh, learning more and more about it. And the chance came after w- when uh, the England team did the Hardys deal mm. and they promoted it. Uh, myself and a guy called Paul Schaffner, was, um, who was then brought in to control uh, to, to make it work, Parties, and he, they appointed me as their, his ambassador or ambassador to work with him and that went on for three years and uh, really enjoyed it uh, but at the end of the three years Paul said look I think it might be time for us to move on he said do you want to start making your own wine I said well how do you mean and he said well we'll source the wine we can then you sit down with the head wine and you blend it accordingly and I said I'd love to do that and that's nearly four years ago now and uh, I've got to say uh, it's given me a new lease of life right you know we're in I think 16 countries around the world now um, and I'm really proud of the wine every wine that we've made we wanted to make it affordable and uh, I think we've done that with the quality of wine that we've made uh, all right we don't make the margin that some people would on other wines but that's not what it's all about you know it's about I actually just enjoy seeing people when I walk in somewhere and someone's enjoying a bottle of our wine, it's great. Or I see someone buying it in the shelves mm-hmm. and online. Yeah, so um, it's a new lease of life for me. And I thoroughly enjoy it. It's, as I was saying, it, it usually means I'm down, down under Australia and New Zealand because I've got the Pinot uh, coming from Maud uh, Winery, which is in Wanaka mm-hmm. in central Otago. And then I've got uh, a few wines in Australia. Uh, And we also got uh, yeah um, brought that down, but uh, Argentinian wines, and we're going to do some. We've got two English wines from Balfour, uh, which is uh, down in Kent. Uh, We do a sparkling rosé and a still rosé, English wines, and um, the portfolio is going on. We've got some uh, Sauvignon Blanc coming in, which we blended about three months ago, and that's coming in from South Africa, uh, and that's probably bobbing its way over now. Uh, so it's been exciting, really exciting. I, and you're learning all the time. What's your um, favourite? Oh. Did it change from day to day? Yeah, yeah, the mood swings. I'm a bit of an all rounder when it comes to wine. You know, when it's nice and sunny, the Chardonnay or the Pinot Grigio. Rosé is always a good summer drink. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sauvignon Blanc, which I made. I would be interested to see what people think of it, because a lot of people that's not a sullivan blanc that's it it is it is and it honestly is so we'll see what how that goes down um but the whites and then the top end of the wines and we've got a pinot coming out in a, at a level higher again uh coming out uh, very shortly
2: right thanks taha thanks joe thanks butch and uh if, if you did enjoy listening please uh maybe leave us a nice comment on youtube that's the, the best way to get your questions uh your questions answered or a nice five-star review on the podcast app and cheers for listening
3: Podcast Network.